least two of those people in that take. It was tough. We are glad you're here this morning as we continue looking at Matthew's uh, telling, uh, God telling through Matthew of the Christmas story. When you think of something that disturbs you, what disturbs you? Long sermons? Traffic? Have you ever driven in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston? Major, major metro area, even downtown Ruston uh, with some of the construction can be a little bit disturbing. Maybe it's shopping this time of year. Now, I know for women, shopping is a sport and makeup is their camo and they, uh, you know, they dig it. But it's disturbing to me to have to go and fight with 5,000 people you don't know to, uh, to spend money that you don't have to buy gifts for people you don't know if they're going to like them or not, it's kind of disturbing at times. Well, this morning in Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at someone who can be disturbing. And it's probably not somebody you thought or would think of as being disturbing. And what the Scripture shows us this morning is that really understanding Jesus is disturbing. Really understanding Jesus Christ and his claims on our lives is a little bit disconcerting. Now, is Jesus Christ uh, all-loving, as the Scripture says? Absolutely. Is Jesus Christ the sweetest name we ever know, as the song says? Absolutely. But when you take Jesus Christ out of pure theory and you move him into our lives and to our world and you see the expectations that he has on us, it is a little bit disconcerting. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it begins and it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, there was two Bethlehems, so they're designating which one it was. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, if you just paused right there, you'd say, this is great. This is a Christmas story. Jesus Christ has been born. Man, this is wonderful. Everybody's going to be super happy, and they're going to get gifts at Christmas from now on. I mean, this is wonderful. But that's not what is said next in the text. In verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem. With him, Let me give you a little context. These magi are who we call the wise men. Magi is a Persian word, so maybe these are from Persia. We don't know a lot about them, but they were certainly very intelligent people, probably astronomers, men who studied the stars for a living. Uh, it's likely they were very religious people. Some, some think they were scientists and maybe even priests. And they, they see this star, and they travel following it, knowing that God is trying to show them something wonderful through this miraculous event uh, in, in space. We don't know how many there was. We sing a beautiful old hymn, We Three Kings of Orient Are. We have no idea if there was three of these guys or there was 300. In my, my guess, there was probably more than three because of the, the, uh, the way they stirred up the city. We have no idea if they were kings. They probably were not kings. And we have no idea if they were from Orient or from R. We do not know. But that is a beautiful song. Now, it, they did not show up at the manger scene. 
the night Jesus was born. Now, I don't want you to go home today and burn your major scenes or the next time you're at a Christmas musical and they have the wise men and the shepherds both come down, uh, you know, and the same scene for you to stand up and scream heresy. They have to do that, okay? The shepherds came the night Jesus was born. The wise men probably got there uh, six months to a year and a half after Jesus' birth, some, some time in there. But they, they get to Jerusalem and they ask about this newborn king that God has revealed to them through the stars in regards to. And when they ask, King Herod hears about him. He is greatly disturbed. Who is this Herod? If you read the New Testament, there are many King Herods listed. Some of them are his sons. He is called Herod the Great. He ruled the Jewish people for about 40 years, four decades. In fact, the Romans, uh, about 40 years before Jesus' birth, had made him the king of the Jews. They had given him that title. Now, he was a, an Edomite. He was from a, a bloodline that was opposite of the Jewish people in many ways, or opposed Esau versus Jacob. So there was some bitter feelings there to begin with. But he was, a, he was an interesting fellow. He did a lot of great things. He helped the Jews rebuild and, and remodel their temple. He built amphitheaters and great things. But he was also a nut. He was also somebody that needed to be medicated who wasn't medicated. Back in the day before Medicaid, he was a person that needed therapy and never got therapy. And he was a person who had a wicked, wicked heart. In verse 3, you see on the screens, it says he was disturbed. That word can mean agitated, but more than likely, uh, it means to be stirred up or to be troubled. It says that all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Now, I want to show you in a minute that Herod was a murderous nut, and when Herod got upset, it Everybody got upset. You've heard people say, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. In, in Jerusalem, when King Herod wasn't happy, nobody was happy. But I believe, I believe in this case, it wasn't just because Herod was upset that they were upset. I think the thought of a new king, this religious king, the king of the Jews, in fact, the one that many of them had been looking for, had arrived on the scene, greatly troubled them. Why would the birth of Jesus Christ, why would Jesus Christ being on the scene 2,000 years ago greatly trouble people? And why this morning when we unpack this and we look at it, why is Jesus Christ troubling or disturbing? Why is he going to be to you and me? Let me give you a few reasons today. Number one, the claims he makes about himself are troubling. In John 14, 6... If you're a Christian, this really is a verse you need to learn, you need to memorize. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Now, you know what Jesus was saying here, essentially? Jesus was saying, if a person wants to go to heaven, the only way you are ever going to go to heaven is by having a relationship with, with God through me, Jesus Christ. You want to stir things up? Mention that sometime in a public forum. Get on a chat room somewhere and and type that in and throw that out. I don't watch Oprah, never have. I think that's a chick thing, not a guy thing. Whether you like her or not, you've got to admit she's uh, been a tremendous personality and force and uh, and, and obviously a great businesswoman. I saw a clip uh, a year or so ago where they were doing, and they may do this every day or did this every day on the Oprah show, where they were doing some give and take. And Oprah Winfrey said, 
very emphatically, there is no way Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There's no way that is impossible. And a lady in the audience was nice, but stood up, and they recognized her. I'll give Oprah credit for that. And the lady said back to her, man, you are absolutely wrong. Who are you to say that? It was Jesus Christ himself who said he is the only way to God. Why does Jesus disturb us? Number one, man, he makes claims about himself that either are true or either he's a liar and a nut. He's not a good guy if he's a liar and a nut. Amen? I believe that's true. And I would encourage you, as you share John 14, 6 with people, always be a coward and say this, I didn't say it, God did. Don't be mad at me, Jesus said it, right? It's the right way to handle it. Jesus disturbs us, one thing, because of the claims he makes about himself and what that means to us. Secondly, Jesus is a threat to our lifestyles. King Herod heard about this new king, and it disturbed him. One thing I think it had to do, because it was threatening to the way he liked to do life. King Herod was a guy who did anything he wanted to do. Married nine times, killed a wife when he got tired of her. I'll, I'll show you in a moment, he killed some uh, other people. Killed lots of people, killed a mother-in-law. And as we know, no court. If, if the men are on the jury, will ever convict a man for killing a mother-in-law, correct? But, <laughs> just a joke, mom-in-laws. But the, the bottom line was, Herod did whatever Herod wanted. If you're going to give your life to Christ today, if you're not a Christian, you were saying to Jesus, I'm going to do life your way, not my way anymore. Yeah, you're going to fail, you're going to fall. But you're making a fundamental shift that you're going to do that. Listen, Christian, this is not, absolutely not just for people who are far from God. This is you and me. As Christians, Jesus Christ is a threat to a lot of the ways we're wanting to do life. Because if we're going to really do it his way, we've got to do it his way. I worked with a carpenter for a while in Tennessee years ago. He was a good man. He was a good carpenter. It was a family business, and that's why he could do what I'm fixing to tell you he would do. Every day was we'd go to work. He'd have a six-pack of tall boys. And I'm not talking about Pepsi either. Six-pack of tall boys in his cooler. And he would drink those throughout the day. Now, I used to, I used to drink a lot back in the day. A six-pack of tall boys is a lot of beer. If you don't know anything about it, that's a lot of beer. Especially if you're climbing three stories and nailing things together. That's a lot of beer. Every day. On Friday, we would go into lunch and he would drive. Why was I letting him drive? I have no idea. But we'd stop by the liquor store, and he'd get us some Jack Daniels, and he'd say, hey, today's Friday, man. We're partying. No, not we're partying. He's partying. And I'm thinking, you're partying on Monday, brother. He, you know, it has nothing to do with being Friday, but Friday you had the six-pack of tall boys, plus you had Jack and Coke all, all afternoon. He was a very smart man. He had a college degree. He told me, he said, I wanted to be a doctor. I said, why didn't, why didn't you go and why, why didn't you become a doctor? He said, because I can't drink my beer. I said, good. I don't want you operating on me and got a tall boy over here <laughs> putting it down, saw it. Oh, wrong leg. He's got two. That's okay. <laughs> he loved sports. His kids were good athletes, and he coached them in their little sports programs and things. And I, and I asked him, I said, why, why didn't you become a coach? He said, because I like to drink my beer. I said, that's good. You know, I don't necessarily want my, my kid's gym teacher, you know, drinking Coke and Jack while they're saying, yeah, climb up to the top of that up there. See if you can touch the light in the gym. 
Is drinking a sin? No. It is if you're underage. It's certainly a sin when you're overindulging. Bible talks strongly about that. For this guy, it was his God. I don't know whatever happened to him, but I know if he was ever going to come to Christ, there was going to be a crisis about that alcohol in his life. You see, Jesus was a threat to Herod's lifestyle, but he's a threat to our lifestyle too. And again, many of us who are Christians, we have become very comfortable with things that aren't right. And to get where we need to be back with Christ, it's a threat to our lifestyle. Thirdly, he's a threat to our relationships. Did you know that? Herod had nine wives. And I guarantee you, if Herod saw a pretty girl walking down the street, he had a girlfriend that night too. He had anything he wanted, and that would certainly include relationships. And there had to be something disturbing to him about this new king coming in who was going to put some demands and, and say, you just can't move in and out of marriages like you're moving in and out of cars. You just can't indulge yourself in any way you want to. In, in, in Herod's day, believe it or not, sexual morality was worse than it is today. Immorality. And Herod, Herod would have been a tremendous practicer of that. You know, some of you today may be in relationships you do not need to be in. I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm talking about maybe you're married and you have a, an emotional or a physical affair going on with somebody else. Christ is a threat to that because he says, get out of it. Maybe you're not married, but you're sexually active. And, and if you take God's word serious, he's, he's a threat to that because he says it's wrong. He says you've got to stop that. You see how this becomes a little disturbing? Christ's way is the best way. It's the most fulfilling way. It's the way you're going to find what you're looking for. But it's hard to see that when you're in the middle of the junk, isn't it? Christ was a threat to Herod's relationships like he is to ours. And lastly, what brings it together, he's a threat to our rule in our lives. Herod was the king. Herod ruled. And anything that got in the way of Herod was eliminated. Listen to this. Three of his sons, his own flesh and blood, when they got of age and became a threat to his throne... You know what he did? He killed them. He had them killed. Ship them to China. Ship them to Africa. Why do you kill them? But he killed them. Anything that was a threat to his power, his way, his rule, he completely eliminated them. Religious leaders of Jesus' day. We'll see more about this in a moment. The king was a threat to them, this new king. Because, listen, they had figured out how to control the synagogue and the temple and the religion, they had God in a box. And Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to knock that box over. And they did not want it. You know, the greatest threat to the kingdom of God in your life is the kingdom of self. Did you get that? You're not a Christian today. The thing that's going to keep you from coming to God and to miss God, if you're not careful, is not anything out there. It's what's in here. Us just wanting to run the show. As a Christian, I have no doubt, because I'm one of you, the thing that's keeping you and me back is going to keep us from being who God wants us to be. It's not them, it's us. You see, when you become a Christian, 
you're, you're making a choice to cease to do things your way and to do it Christ's way. Did you get that? Now, you're, you're going to be imperfect. You're going to fail. But you're making a choice to cease to do it your way and to do it Christ's way. As a Christian, the Christian life is a daily, daily. This is good. It's daily. It's hard because it's daily. Don't you wish you could make this choice today and be done with it? It's a daily choice to say, it's not my way, it's God's way. And Christ is a threat to that. And let let me just say this before we move forward. Christ's way is the best way, it's the happiest way, it's the most fulfilling way. It's going to be hard, but it threatens us on the front end. Therefore, we make some bad choices oftentimes. And I want to ask you today, what will we do with Christ? What, what will we do this morning with this King Jesus? I think there's three responses, and we're going to look clearly at two of them this morning. Here's the first thing we can do with Jesus Christ. We can ignore him. We can just pretend like we didn't hear what he said. In verse 4 through 6, it says, When he called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And they knew. They quoted Micah 5, 2 from the Old Testament. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Now, here's what Herod did. Herod was bothered about this new king coming in the world. So he gets the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish religious high court. This is the green beret of Jewish religious life. It's the high priest. It's the top scholars. It's the top religious people. It's the PhDs. And he gets them all together. And he said, they're telling me this king has been born. They don't know where he is where is he? And in the, t- in the tense of the, in that verse 4, was that he kept asking them, where? Tell me, tell me, tell me. And they knew. They knew right away. They said, hey, the Scripture says this. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew. They knew exactly where he was going to be born. But you know what? We have zero record that they made the five to six miles trip down there to check things out. Doesn't that sound like us today? We read the Bible, we hear the Bible. Man, you can, you can listen to 10 sermons a day, 20 sermons a day on the Internet. You can read 100 books about the Bible and you can read the Bible and all that's good and, unless it doesn't move you to action. Folks, Christmas Eve is next Saturday. People will travel, thousands of people will travel from all over the world to go to Bethlehem. They'll travel 10,000 miles to be there Christmas Eve to celebrate the birth of Christ. These religious scholars would not travel five to six miles south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to check out the kid. You know, sometimes when we're threatened with something, when we're challenged by something, The easiest thing to do is to try to ignore it, isn't it? Well, I know I need to do this, but if I just kind of push it aside, 
Maybe the religious leader said, like you and me, I am so busy, you know, I am going to get on this God thing next week. By the way, next two weeks from now, it's New Year's Day. It's a great day to start the God thing. Problem is, is if you put it off today, you're liable to put it off two weeks from now, and, and then in July, you're going to be saying, well, I'll do it in January of 2013, and then it never happens. I think, too, these guys were just apathetic. I love a story that happened in a, in a high school. The teacher wrote on the board the word apathy and asked, what does this word mean? And one student, having no idea what they were saying, said, who cares? And the teacher said, you got it. Who cares? I really wondered if the religious leaders even cared. Will that be our response this morning? Okay, we're feeling a little pull in our heart. We're feeling a little tingle in our spirit that God is trying to get our attention. He's trying to bring us to him for the first time. Our Christian, he's trying to break you and bring you back to him where you need to be. But what we'll do is we'll just sit long enough, and if we can survive till 12.05... This will be over, and I'll be fine. Let me remind you that no response is a response. No decision is a decision. Many of you have heard it most of your life. What do you have to do to go to hell? Nothing. I mean, don't you have to murder at least five people, and then you go to hell? No, you just have to never respond to Christ. What about you, Christian? What do you have to do to to not grow spiritually, to not be where you should be with Christ? Just don't do anything. You do not grow spiritually. You do not become more like Christ by osmosis, by wishful thinking. You become more like Christ by willful choices. Just not doing anything carries consequences. How many of you remember the Oklahoma City bombing and it was April 19th, 1995. Timothy McFay was the mastermind behind it. 168 people died in the Murray Federal Building that day. McFay and another guy, not, not this guy, McFay and another guy were, were convicted of this crime. Timothy McFay was given a death sentence and he died in the federal prison. The other man is in prison probably for the rest of his life. This guy's named Michael Fortier. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Michael Fortier went to prison for the Oklahoma City bombing for 12 years. But he didn't do, he didn't do anything. He did not help in, in planning it. He didn't help in getting the, the, uh, everything they brought together to do the bombing. He wasn't there when it happened. You know why he went to prison for 12 years? Because he knew about it and he didn't do anything about it. He didn't do anything to stop it, didn't say anything, didn't try to to protect anybody. You see, a no response, an ignore, an apathetic response to Christ is a response that carries consequences. There's another response we see in Scripture And that's this, we can fight against Christ. We can fight against Christ. In verse 7 and 8, interesting little verses. My Bible's falling apart. Put those on the screen if you can. There you go. Literally, it is falling apart. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and make a careful search for the child. 
And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Doesn't that sound great? I mean, Herod said, man, I want to go worship Jesus. I want to be a part of this, this new movement of God. I want to be there. But you see, profession uh, versus what you do are two different things. And you can say all the right things, but if it's what you do that it comes down to. Verse 16, we see what Herod's heart was. The Magi did not tell him when they found Jesus and where he was. And it says, when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the wise men, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. What a terrible thing. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. What a horrible, horrible thing. You see, that's Herod's modus operandi. When something threatened him and convicted him and challenged him, he snuffed it out. And, and some of us this morning, we are fighting against God. We would never admit it, probably. We're not doing it like Herod was doing it. Madeline Murray O'Hare, I don't know, many of you would know that name. She, she was the most infamous atheist of the 20th century, probably, at least in America. From the 60s, 70s, and 80s, she made it her goal to stamp God out of, out of our country. School and prayer, prayer school was, was, uh, was stopped because of this lady. That she fought. And why would you fight something you don't believe exists? Isn't that kind of odd to begin with? But she fought it and fought it and fought it. But I, I don't really think that, that any of us in here today are going to fight Christ like Herod are, are like Madeline Murray O'Hare, but what we do, man, is we just, we just want to make sure he's kept in his proper place in our life and our family. Years ago, I saw in the same community this kind of play out with two different couples. They weren't even friends. I think they knew each other. They weren't friends. One couple, the man had, had really come on strong for Christ but his wife hadn't. The other couple was just the opposite. She became a Christian, but her husband hadn't. And I watched as this man in this one relationship and this woman in the other, as they really started selling out to Christ how their husband and their wife, their spouses, fought it and fought it and fought it. They would do anything they could to keep them from coming to church. Always talking bad about everything going on at the church. Always would plan everything on Sunday. You know, they'd be free all day Saturday, but it was Sunday when they'd have to have the family gatherings or go shopping or do this or do that. Always trying to undermine their spouse's relationship to Christ. That's fighting Christ. And you know what? I think most of you know this. You can't win a fight with God. You can't. Here's really a terrible thing. Herod, when this was all going on, he's about 70. He probably dies a few months after Jesus is born or after Jesus' birth and after this time frame. He spends the last months of his life trying to snuff out Jesus Christ, and then he dies. And unless something happened in his heart that we don't have recorded in the Bible, this is a guy that's been dead 2,000 years and probably has been in a really bad place for 2,000 years when all he had to do was stop and surrender to Christ. But he wouldn't do it. 
Why fight a fight you can't win? God stirring you this morning? As a pastor, I've heard some peculiar stories. Some I would believe, some I didn't necessarily believe. I believe this peculiar story. It happened in April 1988. The little church I was pastoring, we were having a revival where we, from Wednesday to Sunday, we had preaching every night. And on this night, on this Friday night, one of the men in the church came forward and became a Christian. His name was Harold. Harold was a big teddy bear. He was about six foot, about 255. He'd been coming to church for a few months. Harold was not a Christian, but a very lovable guy. And he came forward that night and he became a Christian. And I promise you, here's what he told me after church. And he was wonderful, but he was not Einstein, okay? He could not have made this up is what I'm trying to tell you. He said, preacher, when the invitation started, my feet were on fire. My feet were burning up. I said, you know, my thought is, well, do you have athlete's foot? Do you bathe in regular hair? All those things are possibilities. He said, I knew God was calling me and I had to do something. I either had to run out the back door or I had to run to the altar. And I chose to run to the altar. I don't know right now or in the next few minutes if God's going to get a hold to your feet or your ears. Or he's going to punch you right here. But I hope that we will respond as he wants us to. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I would challenge you right now to make a decision to do whatever it is you need to do with Christ. Quit fighting Him, quit ignoring it, and say yes to Him. If you're not a Christian this morning or you're unsure of that, I challenge you right where you're seated to give your life to Christ to make the greatest choice you can make this morning. Just pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I I admit to you I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you're God's son. And I'm asking you now to come into my heart, Jesus. Be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a second. I'm going to have you stand in a moment and and challenge you to respond to Christ. Christian, I'll start with you. God's speaking to you this morning. He's disturbing you a little bit. Will you make a choice either where you're standing or at the altar that today you'll stop fighting stop ignoring and that you'll re-surrender yourself to him will you do that today maybe this morning you're here and you'd like to join our church <clears throat> we would love for you to do that one way you can do that is, is coming in a moment we give the invitation letting one of our ministers help you with that decision you do that this morning or maybe you just prayed with me and you asked Christ in your heart maybe you're ready to do that we got ministers that will be down front and I promise you if Herod could speak to you today he would plead with you
make that decision. Don't fight him anymore. We'll try to ignore him. Surrender to him. Let's stand and just bow our heads. And as God leads you this morning, respond to him.